0: First Peter is ministering to us for the month of January. We're actually going to go through 1 Peter both on Sundays and also on Wednesdays. The book of 1 Peter has so much, so much that we can glean from, especially today. It's filled with application for right now for today. So we're going to pick up where we left off on Sunday. And what an amazing book that we've come to now on really teaching us as a as a church, really teaching us as the body, how to respond to trials. How to respond to trials, really. How to respond to a life of trials. You know, today, in the day that we're living in, especially with the with the division, with the crisis that we see around us, And we have to ask ourselves, are we living a life that's pleasing God? Not a life that's pleasing people, not a life that's pleasing ourselves, but are we living a life that's pleasing God? How are we living a victorious life in the middle of adversity? How does it look like to live a victorious life? You know, a victorious life in the middle of adversity means holiness. A victorious life in the middle of adversity means humility. It, it, it really, what it means is unity now. And what we've seen that Peter is exhorting the church here that's undergoing heavy persecution is that he's giving them hope. He's giving them encouragement in such a hopeless, discouraging time. And you know what he encourages them with? First telling them that they're sojourners, that they're pilgrims, that this is not their permanent home. He encourages them with that. Then he encourages them with the hope of heaven, understanding that your final destination is heaven, that you ought to focus now. And finally, as you wait, what is the final destination heaven? That you ought to live in humility and in holiness. You know what holiness promotes? Holiness promotes unity right now. Holiness promotes love from the Word of God. In fact, it's holiness... That takes us now to humility, that takes us then to honor. It's holiness, humility, and honor. What is honor? Respect. And that's what he's calling them to do here in the second chapter of First Peter. And now he's going to give them these non-negotiables where you cannot compromise this. You cannot compromise now, he's telling them. He's giving them these, these protective now found fundamentals. You know what a fundamental is? It's not something that's basic. A fundamental is a pillar. He's giving them pillars to hold on to. These are pillars right now. And he's saying these are non-negotiable pillars so that you can be protective of your calling as a believer. And he refers them over here in 1 Peter chapter 1 to the word of God. You ought to be growing spiritually and building on a lasting foundation. What's a lasting foundation? It only of God endures. Jesus Himself said heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will by no means pass away. What can you hold on to to that which doesn't pass away? Everything that we're going through right now will pass. The pain that you're going through is going to pass. The situation that we're going through is going to pass. This world is going to pass. The authorities, the government, the administration is going to (laughs) pass. But you know one thing that's not going to pass is the word of God will by no means pass away. In fact, I love this quote that's been said. It's so classic. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. (laughs) Methods change. Government changes. Administration changes. The way people feel changes. But you know what doesn't change? Principles never do. And he's telling them to focus on principles. Not policies. Principles. Christians, you know what we ought to focus on? Focus on principles before you start focusing on policies. And then you'll be a person that's never distracted. Now notice five things that I want to give to you before we even go into the text that he's calling them to do in chapter two as we're reading chapter two is that first he's calling them to grow. Grow how In what way? He's calling them to grow by building an appetite for the word of God. How, what are you to do here? Number one, grow. How? By building an appetite god you can't grow without that appetite Pray the appetite of the word of god number one grow. but also he's telling them to build or to be built how are you to be built what well, he's saying here he's going to tell us that god is building a temple or an assembly now a spiritual temple not so much a physical but he's, being a, he's building a spiritual temple now out of living stones, and we are those living stones. And if we build on Jesus, notice this out now, there is no way the temple can be destroyed. You want to know why there's a lot of distract, destruction going on right now, as far as even in the church? Because people were standing on the wrong thing, <laughs> they were standing on an emotion. But when you are building on the corner stone, the foundation, notice this the building that is built the right way, no matter what takes place, will not be destroyed. So he's saying, grow. Then he's saying, number two, be built, but also come to sacrifice. Number three, sacrifice. Sacrifice what? As priests. What did a priest do? A priest would sacrifice to the Lord through Jesus Christ, sacrifice, bring an offering. So he's saying grow, be built, sacrifice, but then number four, abstain. Did you remember that right now? This is what we need to do, abstain. (laughs) Abstain from anything that causes us to sin. Abstain because you're a stranger of this world, because you're a citizen of heaven, because you're a foreigner of this world, and you are being watched by the world. You're being watched by the world. So we must glorify God in our behavior understand that this last year and even the time that we're living in, there have been times that the church has walked into that test and failed the test. Because we didn't abstain. And publicly we have chained the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? With our behavior. But not only does he say here to grow, to be built, to sacrifice, to abstain from anything that God doesn't want for you, Finally, he says, submit. (laughs) Right now, nobody wants to submit. Nobody wants to submit. Why? Because everybody wants what they want in their emotions. And you see people that are revolting instead of submitting. Just imagine receiving this message of submission when there's heavy persecution for you as a Jewish believer. (laughs) Imagine as we as Christians, instead of saying revolt, we say, let's submit right now to what God's plans are. He's telling them to submit to government. (laughs) To submit to a government that was persecuting the Jewish Christians. How difficult is it to do that? It's very difficult. But you know how you are to submit? By following the example that Jesus Christ gave us. How did Jesus submit? Jesus Gave us lessons so that we can learn how to. Follow his example. Follow the example of Christ. Now let's look at our lasting foundation here in First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, where we left off here. Talking about coming to him. After desiring the pure milk of the word of God so that we can grow thereby. Now we ought to come to him as we're growing. And notice what happens as, as we come to him. We come to Him because He is our lasting foundation. Everything is passing, but Jesus is the lasting foundation. It's the only foundation that will last the test of the trial. Jesus, the lasting foundation, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, in which we ought to build, and there is no other foundation that will last but the foundation of Christ. So it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Coming to him notice i want you to underline coming to him in your bible it doesn't say coming to anything else but to him do you understand that he continues to align their focus to that which matters the main thing the main thing first he says you're not to be entertained by this world you're not to become comfortable in this world but you are to come to him Coming to Him, notice as a living stone, rejected indeed by man, chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it also contained in the Scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believes, is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. we so that Having learned what our desires should be, and that's the word of God. Having learned the only way to growth is in the word of God. That we would also, Lord, come to you as a living stone, Lord. That we would come to you, our lasting foundation, so that we can be built up in you. We don't want to be built up in anything else but in you. We want to build up the right way it is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, amen. You see, in this portion, we're going to learn what it means to be built. In verse 4, here of 1 Peter chapter 2. Because the only way to be built is to be built on the cornerstone. You understand how important it is to have a foundation? Because without a foundation, notice the building is very shallow, <laughs> And you know what happens to a a, a building that is shallow, a building that has no foundation? A building that has no foundation, it has no, notice this, bedrock. (laughs) You know what bedrock is? It's something to be supported by. It has no bedrock. It has no integrity. But he's saying we're coming to Christ, to Him, to be built there. We're not being built on anything else. We're not finding now the blueprints to being built in this world, but we're coming to Him. Notice this, coming to Him. That word coming to Him means to remain or to draw near to Him in intimacy, draw near to His presence for fellowship. That's what it means coming to Him. Draw near to Him in intimacy, draw near to Him in communion, draw near to Him in fellowship now as to a living stone. Notice it doesn't say, it says specifically a living stone. Not a dead stone, a living stone. Not a dead idol as it were in the culture and in that time there. Not as a dead idol stone, but as a living stone. In fact, it says this as we continue reading verse 4. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. What do we know about this living stone that we are referred to, to go to? This is a reference here. He is referring them right now in this time of Christ to go to, to remain in a constant, intimate fellowship. Notice this, to a living stone. A stone that has been rejected by man. But you know what's beautiful about this stone, living stone? It's chosen by God. Chosen by God for what? For great honor. This chosen stone, notice what he says here in verse 4, is precious. The idea of precious is that this living stone has value. And you should go to this precious, valuable stone that has been chosen by God. You know what's awesome about the living stone that was chosen by God? Who is that living stone? The living stone is Jesus. <laughs> and we find out here that Jesus is chosen by God, and we know it's Jesus who is chosen, who is that stone, because Jesus is the only one that has the messianic, notice this, credentials. He is the only one that has been authenticated to be that cornerstone because he has been validated and authenticated now through the resurrection of the dead. So we know he's referring to Jesus. Come to him as the living stone. Come to the living stone. But notice this, your identity in fire. Because it says this, you also as living stones. <laughs> Don't you love this? It says the word also. You also are a living stone. We are also God's building. Now notice why he says, you also are a living stone. Because just like Christ is a living stone, we also are a living stone in this building or this spiritual house because we are closely identified and united with Christ now. that the very life that exists in that living stone, that life exists in us. It's the life of Christ flowing in us. It's Christ in us. That's why we are also a living stone. Now, do you see that? Do you understand why we are called living stones? So that we can be directly connected and associated to Jesus in the building. Now, notice as we continue, you also, as living stones are being, notice this, built up. God is building you up. And he's building you up as a living stone or he's building up a spiritual house. What does a spiritual house look like as stones? You know what a spiritual house looks like as, as it's being built up even today? Spiritually, what does it look It looks like God is building a spiritual temple and that spiritual temple looks like the assembling of the believers. That is the building. You know what the true building is? The true building is not an address. The true building is the people. That's why intimacy, notice this, intimacy in the church is not found in a building. Intimacy in a church is found in relationships. In the relationships that you have, first of all, with God, and in the relationships that you have with one another, because we are the building. You all are living stones. We are the living stones. Notice this, that God is assembling as we are gathering together as believers. And notice what he's doing, why he calls us stones, so that we can be integrated with him and we can be integrated with one another. (laughs) Now the word build up, notice you are being edified, you are growing, you are being built up. Do you see here that we are being built up not by ourselves, but we are being built up together as a house? A house? Now, this is an amazing picture because we're being built on the chief corner stone. Let's keep reading here because he's going to tell us how this spiritual house works. A spiritual house, notice, a holy priesthood. Not only are you a spiritual, a living stone that you identify with Christ because he is a living stone. Not only are you a spiritual house that he's building a gathering and integrating us all together, but he calls us this third title here, you're a holy priesthood church right now. That what is your calling. Right now in the times that we're living in, we should remember, I'm a living stone, number one. I'm being built into a spiritual house called the church. And the church, individually, we're all holy priesthood. Now, what is the responsibility Of now the priest in the Old Testament. Why are they called holy? Did you know that the priest in the Old Testament wore a plate now? On their chest, a breastplate. And you know what that breastplate said? Holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. As priests, our responsibility, number one, is to be holy to the Lord. That's why it's a holy priesthood. The number one responsibility as a priest is to be holy to the Lord. But also notice that if you start to read in the Old Testament through Exodus, you notice that the priesthood is clothed for service. Why are you a a part of a priesthood? Because all of us here are to be clothed for service. And he's reminding them right now we should be clothed for service. You know what the priest also is? Is anointed for service. Not only are they separated for service, they're clothed for service. Notice number three, they're anointed for service. They're prepared, number four, for service now. But notice number five, the priesthood is ordained for obedience. And he's reminding them this in this few verses that we're reading, their identity in Christ. The problem is today is they have an identity crisis. (laughs) Not only an integrity crisis, we have an identity crisis. We forgot who we were. Here he's he remember your identity. Remember your calling now. You're a holy priesthood now. And you know what a priesthood also does? Honors the word of God, walks with God. They are God's messenger to the people. And why is part of a priesthood right now, so that, notice this verse, in verse 5, so that you can offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now when you look at this, a priest, what do they do? How do they offer spiritual sacrifices? Well, they would go into the most holy place. And they would offer sacrifices for the people. In fact, the high priest would go behind the veil once a year on the day of atonement called Yom Kippur and offer sacrifices for the people. He would intercede prayers and a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. So he's saying you are a part of a priesthood right now and your responsibility or your priestly duty how about that? Your priestly duty is to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now notice it doesn't say just sacrifices but the sacrifice ought to be the worst thing is that we go to the Lord to offer a sacrifice in the flesh. Carnal sacrifices. Sacrifices that are not anointed. That are not holy. In fact, sacrifices that have been polluted by the world. You know how that happens when you offer a sacrifice that has been polluted by the world? Is because you have not sanctified the sacrifice in prayer. Oftentimes, we go to the world to look for sacrifices so that we can come to church and offer them to God, and that is wrong. How how does that happen? When you try to find your identity out in the world. Anything that you try to offer to the Lord, then no longer is spiritual. But do you see here saying spiritual sacrifices, why? Because they're God honoring. The priest would go and pray now under the direction of the Holy Spirit, under the direction of the guidance of the word of God and offer sacrifices that it's acceptable. God, a spiritual sacrifice will always be acceptable to God. You know what it's always going to be? Pleasing to God. Because it's going to be spiritual. And it's through Jesus Christ. Notice that verse. It says at the end of verse 5, acceptable to God or pleasing to God because it's through the Son, Jesus Christ. You know the best thing to do is to know that your sacrifice is an act of worship. Worship. Why through Jesus Christ? Because it ought to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. It ought to be sanctified through the cross. Through Jesus, the atonement of Jesus. The Priests knew the value of atonement. Do you know the value of atonement that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins? or through him, through the forgiveness of Jesus now we can come to God and offer him a sacrifice that is spiritual and that is pleasing to him so what is here Peter telling the church right now today that is for us that is for today for me and for you it's to come as to a living stone what does that mean in verse 4 Peter here is painting a picture that God is building a spiritual temple God's building a spiritual house what is that house? It's the church. And he's using individuals in the church called living stones, Christians that ought to identify with Christ or the life of Christ should flow through them. And those now who have come to the ultimate living stone, which is Jesus. Now let's keep reading here because in verse 6 it says, As scriptures say, therefore it is also contained in the scriptures. This is validated through Scripture that God is doing this. And He's doing this, and it begins the building through Jesus. Now notice what it says here, verse 6. Behold, I lay in Zion, quoting from Isaiah 28, verse 16, in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes in Him will by no means be put to shame. Now let's read that verse and look at that verse because God is saying prophetically, I'm going to place a chief cornerstone on which I'm going to build a church. And here he's giving them foundation. He's giving them a pillar to build on. The Lord said in Isaiah through the prophet, I am placing a chief cornerstone in Zion or in Jerusalem. I'm placing it. So what does this tell us? This is part of God's plan foreordained by God. God knew this. God did this. And he's placing a chief cornerstone. Notice this. Write this next to your Bible. You like it? Foundation. You know what a cornerstone was or the chief cornerstone? It was the stone in which the building was laid on or every other piece of the building, it would connect the walls together, the cornerstone. It would be used almost as of today as of a beam that would hold the structure together. What is it that holds the church together? The cornerstone, which is Jesus from the placement of all other living stones, Christians now, in the spiritual house are placed, connected to the chief cornerstone. <laughs> what a beautiful picture he's giving us. And the chief cornerstone, notice in verse 6, prophetically, is saying that is that chief cornerstone is elect or is chosen by God. God picked Jesus for this to bring the gathering of the church together. And notice, precious again, or chosen for great honor. Jesus chosen for great, great honor. And what promise here? Look at the promise, prophetic promise here, verse 6. And he who believes on him, or he who puts his trust, her trust on him, will by no means be put to shame. When he directs him here to prophecy, that nobody will be disgraced. Nobody will be put to shame. Who put their focus today through trial, through suffering, No one will be put to shame who put their trust on Jesus. Notice this last one. No one will be disappointed. (laughs) You know, oftentimes, why we become easily disappointed? Because our trust was in man. Our trust was in man. And he's telling them here, no one will be disappointed who have a focus to put their trust in the chief cornerstone. To stay connected to the chief cornerstone because you're going to be built you know where you're going to be built be built to last you're going to be durable what are you building on today in fact in verse 7 it says this therefore because this has been said to you who believe he is precious to those who see the great honor that God has given jesus and trust him they see jesus as precious they see jesus as valuable they see jesus as their source now As their foundation stone now? But to those who are disobedient, notice now there's another prophecy to those that are disobedient. And you see that either Jesus is a stone of salvation where you're built on, or Jesus is a judgment stone. And it's all based off of whether or not you put your trust in him. Is he today a stone of salvation or a stone of judgment? Now notice what it happens here because in verse 8 it continues now that this is the prophecy given to those who disobey now. In verse 8 it says this, the stone in verse 7, the stone which builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That very stone that people rejected was the stone in which they ought to build on. It's a stone that holds it all together. In fact, goes on in verse 8, and a stumbling or stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. You see how it talks about Jesus also being not only a chief cornerstone that we can build on, but also a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. Why is he a rock of offense? Because the truth offends. <laughs> the truth brings conviction now. And he's saying Jesus is also going to be that chief cornerstone, will also be the rock that makes people fall. It brings the unbelieving down in judgment. It humbles people in judgment. It's the rock of offense. You notice how it's a rock of offense? When people trip up on the truth, it brings people down in judgment. Who is it? It's the truth, and the truth is Jesus. Now, it brings those who are being disobedient to the word. Notice that in verse 8. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also Appointed. Appointed. You know what they were appointed for and what they led themselves for? They were appointed to the word of God. But what, they, what did they inherit? Judgment. Because they disobeyed the truth. You see, this is so important for us today because we have an, a decision to make. As as living stones. Stones. You know what the decision that you have to make today as a living stone is? What are you going to choose to build on this year? What are you going to choose to build on? Are you going to choose to build on, on the bedrock of Jesus Christ, on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ? Or are you going to build on something else that's not lasting? I want you to write verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Because Paul tells the church, and even in Corinth, do you remember? He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field. You're God's building. We are God's building. And God wants us to build it the right way. Build it to last. According to the grace of God, he says this, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, Paul is saying, I have laid the foundation and another one builds on it. Let each one take heed how he builds on it. Each one should see how you are building. Are you connected to the right foundation? For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation that you can lay that will last which already has been laid that is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work and what sort of it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss because he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. What does this mean? Are you building on the foundation with those virtues and those characters that he's talking about, the priesthood, holy priesthood, holy sacrifices, acceptable to God? Are you building with that which is going to last or are you building with hay and straw which is just going to be burned away on the day of judgment? You think about how much of last year we became so distracted and for a moment there, we started building with hay and straw. <laughs> you know what happens with hay and straw when it's put in the fire? It, is just, it becomes ashes. <laughs> what happens with gold and silver? When you build on gold and, you, and then it's tested in the fire, you know what it does? It only becomes stronger. It becomes pure. It's refined. What are we to do? We ought to be those that know how to handle The refiner's fire. You know what the refiner's fire is for? It's the place where he makes his tools, his vessels holy. I I can't get tired of that song. Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy. Now, do you see here that he's going to tell them also, you're not called to be disobedient. You're not called to stumble. So remember who you are. Would you remember who you are tonight? In fact, let's read the next two verses here as we continue to remember our calling, remember our identity. And it says here in verse nine, but you, (laughs) well, that's those that are disobedient will stumble. Those that are disobedient will fall and collapse in judgment because they didn't trust the truth in Jesus They failed to build on that cornerstone Christ. Christ is the cornerstone. It's there where we find our strength and our source. But he says, but you are a chosen generation. (laughs) Do you notice how awesome this is that not only do we have a, a chosen living stone, we also have a chosen generation. Who's a chosen living stone? Jesus is a chosen living stone. what people approve of. Here, uh, my church is that your relation or your relationships are in that you are a chosen generation. I love generations. Generations matter. One generation, everything that was purchased by the previous generation can become extinct. You know what's beautiful about the generations? Is that you can identify yourself if you are if you are wise as the chosen generation. The one who receives the truth of the word of God. That's that chosen generation. The generation of Jacob. The generation that chooses to seek his face. Oh God of Jacob. You know what's important that we become that generation that seeks his face today? God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. (laughs) But here, the reason why he says generation, notice this, because he's saying, you're a chosen people. And you as a chosen people, notice what he he tells them there. It says, you're again a royal priesthood. (laughs) You are a chosen people. That's what generation means. And you're a royal priesthood. That means that you're serving Right here, priesthood means you're serving his kingdom. What does a priest do? Minister to God, separated for God's service. You are a chosen people and you're called royal priesthood. Notice that. Not only priesthood, but royal now. (laughs) Isn't that amazing that, that you are called royalty in Jesus as a royal priesthood? Why are you called royalty? You're chosen and you're called royal. Because you're serving under his kingdom and king. That's why it's royalty. You're ministering to God. You're separated for God's service. But notice what he tells them. He reminds them a whole nation. Is he speaking about a specific nation? Or is it the Jewish nation he's speaking about? Is he speaking about, you know, American nation? <laughs> what nation is he speaking about? He's speaking to the only nation that's actually going to last. It's a holy nation. (laughs) The church. That's the nation that we belong to. In fact, when he's a holy nation, he's saying, you're a new nation. You know what the new nation is composed of? God's people. And he says that in the very next line where he says, his own special people. Why does he say this? You belong to God's church. Because you belong to God, notice this, you have a special purpose. You have a special plan. I love that. Because this is what we need to be reminded of today. So that we don't become distracted and fooled. Fooled. You know what the world wants to do? The world wants to fool you into thinking that you're something else. The world wants to condition us today us to start to believe and to be fed the lie of an antichrist agenda. But you know what we ought to do? It's to remember who you are. I love what in the Proverbs it said, Remember your God in the days of your youth. <laughs> Why remember? Because we've forgotten because we've forgotten, because we've put it aside. And notice what he's telling them right now as you're going through suffering. Notice, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. But what are you to do now? A holy nation that you may, this is the purpose. This is the result of you being a royal priesthood and a holy nation and God's own special people, that he has a special purpose and plan. That you may proclaim, you may show others, or that you may tell forth the praises. (laughs) You may tell others of the plan, or you may give testimony. Notice, this is our calling right now. You may give testimony of Him, God, who called you out. Notice, called you out. It seems that we've been called out, but we want to tamper with what He called us out from. He called you out of that. He called you out of darkness into His marvelous Light. Now we are, li- we are living in a world that's dark. We are not to be walking in darkness. Do you understand the difference? We are living in a world that's dark, but we are not called to be walking in darkness. We are called to be walking in light. And this is what he says now. Of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, into his wonderful Goodness, so that you don't have to live in darkness anymore. It's sad to see that the the world has oftentimes consumed what's taking place in this world, what's taking place in our culture and our media. And you know what it does? It, 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 It allures, it traps the Christians in. They start to believe the lies of the darkness. You know what happens when you start to walk in darkness instead of walking in the light? Is The enemy comes to try to rip you off of the special plan that God has for us. And we start to believe in the lies. That's why we as his children, we are his children. We are sojourners. We have to remember the truth in the light. The truth of the light. What is the truth of light? The word of God here. And that's what he's telling them. Remember the truth of the light. He called you out of darkness. You don't belong to darkness anymore. So don't believe the lies that are in the dark. (laughs) So notice in verse 10, who were or once were not a people, you once had no identity, you once were lost now, but you are now people of God. You were once without the privilege, but now we have these privileges. What's the privilege? Fellowship with God. Who once, notice this, had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Isn't this amazing now? You and I have obtained mercy now. What have we obtained mercy? We obtained mercy in Jesus Christ. We obtain mercy as forgiveness. That's mercy, forgiveness. Giving you now or not giving you what you do deserve. It's interesting because we're so entitled today and we want what we deserve. We want our rights. I pray that you don't never pray that you get what you deserve (laughs) because what we deserve is judgment. You know what we've received is mercy. The difference between what you deserve and what you received is in the cross of Jesus Christ. The difference between what you deserve and what you have received is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because we all deserve condemnation because of our unbelief, because of our disobedience. We no longer are under the sentence of that judgment because of Jesus. We had a sentence of judgment. No longer are are we under that sentence. We have been pardoned of that sentence because of the cross of Jesus Christ. In our new identity, notice what is found It's found in forgiveness. And that's what he wants to remind them in. What is truly most important? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's true. Us as believers, we have new life principles that we live by. And it's, I'm a chosen generation. That's what you are as well. And as a chosen generation, I have access to God through Christ Jesus. Therefore, I'm a royal priesthood. You know what a royal priesthood is? That I belong now as a holy nation to a new government. (laughs) That's what a holy nation, it's a new government. It's not this world's government. It's the authority of God. We're under authority of God. We're under a higher authority, and that's the Lord. That's what it means to be a holy nation. But not only this, we're His own special people. You know what it means His own special people? Is that you are His, that He is you are his ownership. And if you are his ownership, you notice know what he's going to do? It's going to affect the way that you live. So he tells them this in First Peter, as he's writing this letter to the believers, so that they can live, here's the key now, here is the key. Live a holy life in a hostile world. What are you called to do? To live a holy life in a hostile world. How are we to live a holy life? Where he says this in the next two verses as we end. It says, beloved, living a life that pleases the Lord or love. I love you. (laughs) But I must beg you. Notice that it says this. Beloved, I beg you. I warn you. Notice. As sojourners. (laughs) I love this word here. Sojourners and pilgrims. I beg you. As temporary residents, I beg you, as foreigners, remember this earth is not your home. He's called them pilgrims. He's mentioned to us as we are citizens of heaven. We are the servants of God. And notice this, because you are a servant, you're just passing by, this isn't your home. Notice this, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Abstain. What does it mean to be able to abstain, to be abstinent? What does it mean? It means to hold away from another person or one other person or that desire that you have, to hold away or to keep away from worldly lust or desire or carnal, notice this, appetites. Carnal appetites, self indulgent urges. Abstain from those things. Why? Because you're not from here. So don't give in to the things of this world. <laughs> Notice what it says here, that war against your soul. Notice, abstain from fleshly lust, carnal lust, lust of the flesh. Desires that the flesh wants to please itself. Not to please God, to please itself, which war against your soul. What do these lusts do? It's, it's a war. A spiritual war. In fact, it's a war between the spirit and the flesh. It's a war. You know, and it's a war that's taking place in our soul. (laughs) Between that which pleases God and that which doesn't please God. Between that which God approves and that which he doesn't approve. In fact, what is a fleshly lust? It's anything that the flesh wants that God doesn't want for you. Simply said. Anything that the flesh wants That God doesn't want for you, that's a fleshly lust. Because God doesn't want for you. So if God doesn't want it for you, why do you want it so bad? Why do you want it so bad? He doesn't want that for you. And that word war it speaks of here as an army of rebels, (laughs) war against your soul. It's a war. In fact, it says this fleshly, the carnal lust in you and me right now, you know what it does? It is at a, a, a hostile enmity, at war now, as an army of rebels now. Think about an army of rebels. That's our fleshly lust, that is uh, who is increasingly searching out. The lust is increasingly searching out to destroy the love, the joy, the peace, and the usefulness in your life. That's why it says war, because it's come to the lust is coming to kill. The lust is coming to destroy joy. That's what happens when you get into lust. It kills joy. You know what lust also do? It kills usefulness. You know what lust also do? It kills peace. Every time you get into lust, notice what it gives you. It leaves you more empty than when you were before you had it. That's what lust does. In fact, in Romans chapter eight thirteen, it says, "For if you live according to the flesh, you will die." But if you live by the Spirit and you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, 17, it says this, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. The flesh wants opposite of what the Spirit needs. Opposite. And the Spirit against the flesh, these two are contrary to one another so that you don't do the things that you wish. So what are we to do to live a holy life in a hostile world? to crucify our passions and desires so that we can have a reflection, our reflection, our reflection be of holiness. Why? Because we're looking at the face of Jesus. <laughs> you know when you're looking at the face of Jesus when you're focused at the face of Jesus, it's almost, 1 Corinthians says, as of a mirror that you're reflecting holiness now. Holiness is mandatory in order to have an impact for the world for God. So what do we need tonight? We need to learn to abstain. First to be built and then to abstain. Can we pray tonight that God would bless us?